BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, good friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. You know, the more we see of Donald Trump, the more we can't believe one, that this guy was ever elected in the first place. Two, that he still won't admit he lost the 2020 election. Three, that he incited an armed mob to storm the US, U.S. Capitol. And four, that despite all of his baggage, he's still the front runner for the Republican nomination in 2024. But one thing for sure, he could not have done any of that without his partner in crime and his biggest booster and supporters and I'm talking about Fox News. Indeed, the link between the two, the extent to which Donald Trump is Fox News and Fox News is Donald Trump is stunning. Worse than you think, worse than we ever believed. And it's all spelled out in a great new book, I just finished it, called Network of Lies by former host of CNN's Reliable Sources, Brian Stelter. In great detail, Stelter documents how closely Fox News hosts like Tucker Carlson, Maria Bartiromo, Janine Pirro, and others coordinated with White House officials after the 2020 election to try to prove there was massive voter fraud and how they kept putting people like Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell on the air even though they knew they were not telling the truth. It's an amazing, shocking story. And Brian Stelter stops by today to tell us all about it. Brian Stelter, so good to have you back on the Bill Press Pod. Welcome back. An honor to be here. Thank you. Oh, and congratulations on, on your new book, Network of Lies. Uh, I tell you, it's another blockbuster. You did an amazing amount of research uh, and present, I must say, a devastating account of Fox News, both the management and the hosts, on-air hosts. So let me, let me ask you, Brian, to start off with, is Fox a real television network or a propaganda outfit? <laughs> you know? Well, the, pro- the propagandists at Fox are the ones who are winning. And the journalists and the, um, you know, the, the even, even the kind of the common sense opinion people are the ones who are losing out. And, you know, that's a story that unfortunately has been unfolding for years. And we know it from the outside, but the difference now is that we can hear it and see it and read it from the inside. You know, mm-hmm. that's why the Dominion case was so important. It forced all these emails and texts into the public view. And that's why I had to write this book was because there were all of these amazing documents that were uh, found through the D- Dominion discovery process, you know, that pre-trial process. And a few of them made big headlines last spring. You remember the headlines about Tucker Carlson saying he hated Trump passionately and yeah, Rupert right. Murdoch saying, I'm going to make Trump a non-person after January 6th. But, you know, the way that these laws suits often go. There was a lot more in that document dump that really never saw the light of day. It's buried in files at the court in Wilmington, Delaware. So I took those files and turned it into this book. Yeah. I mean, uh, all the talk about the documents at Mar-a-Lago, right? Yeah. <laughs> these, these, 
this stash of documents is equally damning. So, like, overall, how much space was there between Fox News and the Trump administration? Any space at all? There was no space. There was no space at all. And and Rupert Murdoch was asked about this under oath uh, by Dominion's attorneys. In this really damning deposition, Rupert acknowledged that Sean Hannity was the, the coziest of all of them. He talked about uh, criticism of Trump on the air being bad for business, turning away the viewers. He also admitted to his own breakdown in his, his own relationship with Trump. You know, Rupert and Trump did talk frequently uh, early on in the Trump presidency. But by 2020, they had had a falling out and they barely spoke. You know, Rupert privately detests Trump, uh, according to sources, quote, hates Trump. And yet he's just allowed this to all go mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on and on. You know, I must say, I was stunned. I thought I knew this pretty well. But I was stunned to find that Again, management and the host, they were so much more closely involved in both the challenges to the 2020 election and in the January 6th uh, insurrection. And uh, I mean, so let's, and as you say, based on the documents, you've shown that. Let, let's start with, the, with 2020. It all, Fox News, right? The, the big thing that maybe changed everything was when they called Arizona on election night. Right. Tell us about that. That that a a huge impact. It had a huge impact because Fox was the first network to say that Arizona was going blue for Biden. Uh, That was a correct and true statement. Uh, Some of the other networks will still argue to this day that Fox called it too early and was premature in calling it. But it was an accurate projection. And that projection caused a panic, you know, inside the Trump White House, but also inside Fox because the audience was furious. You know, not only was Trump furious, but viewers were furious. The next day there were chants, anti-Fox chants uh, outside the poll, the uh, the um, election office in Maricopa County, Arizona. So you, you had this dynamic where Fox was in trouble, not because it lied, but now this time because they told the truth. <laughs> uh, you know, it did a little bit of an inverse of what you might expect. And, uh, you know, and that really did cause this meltdown internally, which which you see in the emails and texts where day by day, as it sinks in, that the audience is furious, that Fox tries to, to turn it around, tries to change the story, tries to to show fealty to Trump and basically erase what they had accurately said. I know they were afraid of it. Could they really measure they were losing audience and to whom? Yes, to Newsmax, but also to Netflix and everything else. Uh, There's Mm. an email from the head of Fox News PR that weekend, the weekend that Biden was projected to be president-elect, saying, yep, our viewers left this week after Arizona. You know, there was a a real sense of Fox staring at its own image in an even more twisted mirror because some of those viewers left for Newsmax, which was proudly saying, hey, we are not calling the election for Biden. Yeah, I I had Newsmax CEO Chris Ruddy on CNN with me that Sunday. Sunday, the 8th of November 2020 is to me, a turning point day because uh, Biden had been projected president-elect and uh, Fox fans didn't want to hear it. Newsmax was saying, hey, we don't believe it, blah, blah, blah. Like they were sticking their, their fingers in their ears, you know, pretending it wasn't true. And Chris Ruddy was on CNN with me bragging about how Newsmax was not going to call the election yet. So you had this situation where Maria Bartiromo, one of Trump's biggest friends and fans on Fox, she went on the air with Trump-aligned lawyer Sidney Powell and started smearing Dominion. It was very clear what they were doing that day, Sunday the 8th. They were creating a new alternative storyline. They were creating a villain. Dominion, saying that Dominion's Mm -hmm. machines flipped votes, stole votes, machines were hacked, blah, 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 all these lies. 
And in doing so, they were turning Trump into the victim of a stolen election. I just think this is so important, Bill, because, you know, the big lie didn't come out of nowhere. It was made. It was manufactured. It was created. And and Trump then picked up on it and ran with it. And obviously he ran all the way to the Capitol with it. Right. And so I found it just baffling that the response when the audience is not happy and they're getting all this hate mail and everything and protesters outside, Fox's response is not to say, hey, you may not like it, but this is what the truth is, right? Instead, they <laughs> they kind of shifted gear in order to try to get their audience back. That was Their goal was not was to get their viewers back and to please their audience, not yes, to tell they, the truth. A desperate uh, attempt to do that. And and you can see that in some of these, these emails. Um, one of the quotes that, you know, is it's, it's kind of Orwellian through, through the, the mirror world is about respecting the audience. That's what the head of yeah, Fox News yeah. says. We need to yeah. respect the audience. And, and, and she's not the only one who said it. Suzanne Scott is her name, but she's not the only one. Sean Hannity at one point in late November says, respecting this audience is critical. Fox has spent the month spitting at them. So he's saying that by telling the truth, they were spitting the, the viewers in their face. We need to mm. respect the audience by, by not telling the truth too loudly, you know, by giving them alternative options instead. It, it really came down to this. They were trying to keep hope alive, but it was false hope. And so ultimately they were disrespecting their own audience. So you we, you talk about the hoes. We know them all, right? You mentioned Sean Hannity, Maria Bartiromo, Janine Pirro, Lou Dobbs, Laura Ingram, Tucker Carlson, particularly uh, those six. They were putting it out there, right? That, uh, that this was, there's a lot of fraud and Biden hadn't necessarily won. Did they really believe it? <laughs> Some of them really did. I, I think Maria Bartiromo really truly believed it. Uh, she is in messages. She is shown in messages with Steve Bannon uh, acting so, so depressed and sad about Trump's yeah, you yeah, know, apparent yeah. loss. And, and she says she just can't, she can't believe it. She can't come to grips with it. She, she has, she has to believe it was stolen. It has to have been stolen. Uh, Sean Hannity as well has moments where he seems to believe the big lie. And then other points where, where he's on um, uh, shakier ground. I, I got to admit, I got, I got to say a lot of these hosts seem to go through the, the five stages of grief and they're expressing <laughs> different emotions at different days and weeks. They're obviously taking it very personally because Trump's loss is also a loss for them. It's a loss of power. It's a loss of access to the, the corridors of the White House. You know, it's it's a real loss. And um, so it, it's difficult to get to state of mind. But that's what Dominion was trying to do through depositions and through this discovery process. And Dominion's lawyers believe they had a very strong case that some of these hosts knew the truth. And, and lied anyway. And of course, that's what would have helped them win on actual malice. How about Tucker? Uh, you and I have talked about Tucker. Uh, his emails indicate that he kind of didn't believe this shit, but, but he wanted to preserve the brand. That's another phrase that you quote often. Right, right. And yes, yeah. we should tell listeners, you're in the book, Bill. Uh, I, I, I called you up <laughs> well, because of your uh, history with Harry Carlson. Uh, and I, I wanted to ask you what it was like to co-host with him. And the, the point you made to me about uh, back in those days, you know, Crossfire, the spin room, is that y'all could disagree, but still be friendly. Uh, it's such a shame to think, you know, 20 years later that 
Tucker Carlson, someone I don't even recognize anymore. His his politics are so extreme, so radical, so so rage filled that it's not possible to have those kinds of honest conversations on television anymore. But anyway, that's that's a sidebar. I'll let readers check that out. Uh, the thing about Tucker, when it comes to the, the big lie and Dominion, is that Tucker is skeptical. He he calls the, he says he hates the voter fraud shit. That's what he's telling his producers yeah. privately. Yeah. But he uh, he feels this this tug of the viewers. He feels this requirement to be lie curious <laughs> is the way that I put it. He doesn't <laughs> go all in, but he has to be open to the possibility. You know, he even says in one of his texts, "I'm trying to look away." He doesn't want to deal with it. He doesn't want to deal with Trump, but he feels the need to seem lie curious, and so he comes up with ways to do that. He he comes up with a segment about uh, dead people voting, and the Trump campaign gives him names of allegedly dead people who voted by mail. And you know what happens next. It turns out some of those so-called dead people were very alive. And all you had to do is have a reporter go knock on knock their door. On their to door find out. Right? <laughs> yeah, so exactly. it, it's that kind of situation. You know, for a while, Carlson benched uh, his friend Dana Perino, you know, the George W. Bush press secretary turned Fox anchor. She was a regular on Tucker Carlson tonight, but Tucker had her take a break because she was not perceived as being uh, Trumpy enough or big lie friendly enough, you know? So it's, it's that kind of stuff where he was trying to, appease the audience, even though he was holding his nose. Yeah. Uh, I want to get into the Dominion stuff a little more, but first I, I just have to, you mentioned Dana Perino. The one thing I appreciate in your book is you do, you do mention there were some heroes inside of Fox too. I would consider them. Dana Perino was one, Neil Cavuto, Chris Wallace, Bill Salmon, right? Shep Smith. Uh, they wanted to tell the truth, right? They didn't want to go along with what Fox was doing. And I uh, guess- yes, and, and a bunch of the people you just named are long, no longer there, uh, right. which, which is part of the point, which is part of the point. There's been a purge, you know, um, you know, people have purged themselves. Chris Wallace is an example of that. Uh, but there are still uh, some correspondents and anchors there who, um, you know, or I believe are truth tellers. You know, a great example in the book is Eric Sean. He's a weekend anchor. Uh, yep. He had forwarded, you know, the Dominion fact check emails around. Dominion found them, the inboxes. He went on the the the, the, the Sunday when Trump called into Maria Bartiromo's show and denied reality and sounded delusional. And I thought it was a pretty scary Sunday morning in November when he called in and acted like he was he was going to be reelected uh, when he had lost weeks earlier. Eric Sean went on the air that afternoon and, and basically told the truth. You know, here's Trump doubling down on his lies. And there were emails internally saying this is pathetic. It's not a good look for Fox. The same thing happens a little while later. Eric Sean does a fact check of some crazy lies about voter fraud. And the head of Fox News, Suzanne Scott, emails and says, this has to stop now. So she's referring to a pretty bland fact-checking segment by Eric Sean. This is bad business, Scott says. Mm. There's clearly a lack of understanding. The audience is furious. We're just feeding them material. Bad for business. And that is, to me, one of the most shocking emails that I, I found through this whole process, because the head of Fox News Media, she doesn't just represent the opinion people. She's also supposed to, to defend the news. The news people. She's supposed right. to support the Eric Shawns of the world. Eric Sean was just doing her doing his job. He was asked to do it by, a, by another one of the shows. So you have this dynamic where the head of the network is siding with the liars over the truth tellers. And you also point out that uh, for the for for the most part. The opinion people hated the news people and the news people hated the Ooh, opinion people, right? So true. It went in both directions. It went in both directions. It's really kind of sad. And look, you and I b- both used to be CNN guys. You know, I was I was working there for almost a decade, you know, reporting 
and Andrean. Yeah. You know, I've never seen anything like this at another network, the kind of tensions here. You know, sure, there's rivalries between shows, you know, like, you know, Anderson Cooper's show wants to get a guest before Caitlin Collins. So sure. Yeah, but what you yeah. don't have anywhere else is something like this. Sean Hannity texting his friends, Laura Ingram and Tara Carlson, saying, our news division sucks. They never break news. They hate, hate, hate all three of us. Carlson, they're pathetic. That's why they're so angry. Ingram, all caps. They're not smart. Like it is, <laughs> it is this, they're screaming, you know, they're, they're disgust hmm. with the news side people. And, and you're right on the news side, uh, the feelings were mutual. And, and by the way, I say the news side, I know a lot of our listeners are thinking, Brian, there are no real journalists at Fox. Uh, it's complicated, right? It's complicated. There are reporters there who wake up every day and they believe their job is to go out and report the news. Do they come from a conservative, from a conservative point of view? I think sure. a lot of them do, you know, do they have a slant to it? Yeah. Do they cover stories that make the Biden administration look bad? Yes. I, but, but I do think they come with journalistic values as opposed to MAGA media, burn it all down values. All right. So these hosts that we talked about, not the good ones, but the ones, the, the ones who, who uh, really were so close to the Trump administration. They, so they end up particularly putting Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell on the air. And what do they talk about? Dominion, right? And Hugo <laughs> Chavez. And that's how this whole thing. And then everybody kind of picked it up, right? Uh, did Fox and Dominion notices this, right? They get their legal team in action. Um, didn't Fox see this lawsuit coming? Or they did should they? have. They should uh -huh. have. And that's one of the, the crazy things about this. By December, you have well, well let's let's say in November. November 2020, Dominion has a lawyer send a threatening letter um, before Thanksgiving, even. Uh, to say, and, and those those kinds of letters are called retraction demand letters. You know, every every newsroom lawyer has seen them before. Some are toothless, but this one was serious. This one had some really compelling evidence. So Fox, that should have been a warning signal right then. That that should have that should have been a huge one, but it wasn't. And then in December, another voting technology company, Smartmatic, also sends. Uh, retraction demand letters to Fox and not, not just Fox, also Newsmax and One America News. And and these are serious letters saying, you know, there's a disinformation campaign against our company. And I did find an email um, through the Dominion case that showed that there was a reaction inside Fox to say, hey, we need to look into this. Um, Smartmatic is, quote, claiming that we didn't challenge the narrative about fraud. Sometimes we didn't, but we needed to find the times that we did. So they went around and tried to figure out, okay, when did we do the right thing? As if as if having a sign that says "Beware of dog" somehow, you know, absolves you of of sending your dog off trying to, to trying to bite and hurt people. So Fox did this really weird thing in December of 2020. They aired a three minute long segment on Maria's show, on Lou Dobbs show, on Janine Pirro's show, with this voting software expert telling the truth and saying, like, Smartmatic has not, you know, rigged the election, and no votes were not stolen. So they ran this three minute thing that was almost like a correction to what had aired before so that they could say, well, we aired your side of the story. You got nothing against us. Right. But because it aired like a month too late, <laughs> uh -huh. it actually yeah. undermined Fox's case. And because <laughs> they did it for Smartmatic, but not Dominion, it mm. actually undercut and weakened Fox's case. You, you cannot a month after defaming a company or a person come back around, try to briefly run a little hidden apology and then say all is right in the world. Yeah. So 
They, they're ready for the courtroom. People are t checking into their hotels in Wilmington, Delaware. And suddenly at the last <laughs> minute, there's a great big settlement, $787.5 million that Fox uh, has, to, uh, has to own up to. Um, based on that amazing evidence, all the emails that you some, and cited and so many more that they presented to the court, uh, to the judge, uh, they knew they were going to lose. They settled. What impact did that settlement have on Fox? Did that change Fox? You know, I think it has made, you know, I think it has caused some changes around the edges, uh -huh. um, but only on the edges, only on the margins. You know, there's one that's kind of obvious if you're a Fox uh, viewer like I am. They no longer interview Donald Trump live. Uh, any interview yeah. with Trump is on tape, and that is because of the fears of further legal exposure. They mm -hmm. they don't know who he's going to defame next. So, you know, that's an example of something we can point to and say, yeah, that is a difference. But um, but no, I don't think there are major material changes, uh, even though there are still other pending suits. You know, I mentioned Smartmatic. That suit is bigger. Smartmatic wants $2.6 billion. Now, Fox says that number is crazy high, but, you know, D Smartmatic's lawyer, uh, J. Eric Connolly, told me uh, he's getting depositions going. He is going through the discovery process. Uh, in the words of, 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 of one source, we get a second bite of the apple, you know, because now he gets to look at what Dominion found and then go and try to find even more. So this is not over for Fox, even though they paid out Dominion, tried to make that go away. It's still not over. Uh, is that why Lou Dobbs was fired? The Lou Dobbs firing is so curious, isn't it? Lou Dobbs yeah, was the, the day after, rated, right? Wasn't yeah, it? The, the, day, the day after Smartmatic sued. Before Dominion had even ha filed suit. Um, Smartmatic sued one day in February of 2021. And the next day on a Friday, Lou Dobbs was fired. And I, I write about it in the book because I think it's still a kind of a perplexing thing. Lou Dobbs was the highest rated host on Fox Business. But Fox Business is a very low rated channel. So... Mm -hmm. You know, Rupert Murdoch was able to, to tell investigators, uh, tell the lawyers, yeah, you know, it's just nobody watches. No, nobody watches Lou. OK, well, he's he was the highest rated guy you had. So what Suzanne Scott has said, the head of Fox News Media, she has said that she wanted to get rid of Lou for a while. She was working on a plan for it. But then suddenly, magically, the plan just went into effect the day after they were sued. Like, come on, it's a little too convenient. So here's the theory that I subscribe to. I think uh, Rupert Murdoch and his companies, they have a history of trying to throw a body overboard and seeing if that's uh. enough to make people happy. This is a, a theory that David Folkenflik of NPR has advanced. I think it makes total sense. Uh, there was a version of this that happened with the phone hacking scandal in Britain as well. You know, fire an editor, shut down a newspaper, see if that's enough to satisfy everyone. See if see if the critics will go away if you just throw a body overboard. And I think, I think Lou Dobbs was the body. Clearly, mm. wasn't enough. Right. Why was Tucker fired? I think the answer to that is uh, that it wasn't one thing. It wasn't the conspiracy theory that he's advanced about Dominion. You know, he's been out there claiming that Dominion got him fired, that yeah, it was a condition right. of the settlement. That's hogwash. I, you know, I was talking to one of Dominion's lawyers about that again this week at Davida Brook, and she said, you know what? I have no idea why Tucker was fired, but you know who does? Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch. Fox <laughs> knows why. Why won't they tell people? You know, and so in that vacuum, uh, information vacuum, it's created conspiracy theories. It's kind of ironic. I mean, Dominion was a victim of conspiracy theory, and now it's breeding new conspiracy theories because of Tucker Carlson. But anyway, 
I don't think it's because of that. I don't think it's because of Tucker's position on Ukraine. That's something else he's speculated about. I think the answer is that it's like any bad breakup. In any bad breakup, it wasn't just one thing. It was everything. And even if one side is blindsided when they're dumped, the other side will go out to drinks with you and tell you 20 different reasons why that guy had to go. You know, it's it's that kind of relationship where there was a lot of resentment and, and bitterness all built up. And so one day Lachlan Murdoch finally decided to dump him. And, you know, I don't even think Lachlan would be able to list off one reason. I think he would say there's like a dozen reasons. Right. Uh, Well, now let's get into January 6th, where also the Fox people are in bed with the Trump people putting out the story about what really happened and who's responsible. Um, Brian, a quick break, and then we'll come back and pick up right there. Hold on just a second. And for today's podcast with Brian Stelter, we want to send a big shout out and a big salute and a big vote of congratulations to my brothers and sisters, members of SAG-AFTRA under President Fran Drescher, reaching a great settlement after four months of a strike against the big Hollywood producers. But they won, got a great settlement, and that strike is now over. And you combine that with the strike of the Writers Guild and the strike of the UAW recently settled as well. And I think the message is clear. America's labor unions are back under the most union-friendly president this country has ever had. So congratulations, SAG-AFTRA, Writers Guild, UAW, yeah, and Joe Biden too. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back on today's podcast with uh, Brian Stelter. You know him as a former former host of Reliable Sources on CNN and author of the, uh, we talked before about uh, Brian's last book called Hoax, his new book, all about Fox News, Network of Lies, comes out uh, today, November 14, uh, and it's uh, Network of Lies, the epic saga of Fox News, Donald Trump, and the battle for American democracy. Brian, congratulations again, and welcome back. So we've got the insurrection, the attack on the Capitol, and uh, all the fingers are pointing to Donald Trump, except the fingers from Fox News, who basically buy into uh, and host uh, the the Trump White House response that he's not really responsible, or it was a peaceful tourist visit, or this was a false flag uh, uh, operation, right? I mean, they're 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 back with Mark Meadows, basically 
charting the lies that they're putting out there. Yeah, I mean, the network of lies, the title refers to to a, a real network. It's bigger than just Fox. You know, I emphasize the word network because it's also about figures like Mark Meadows and, mm-hmm. and Jason Miller, the Trump aide, who, who tries to say, while the attack is still happening at the Capitol, maybe this was Antifa, not Trump fans, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, th- this network, they, they text, they communicate, they tweet to each other, they spread these ideas, then they, they share them on the airwaves, they share them on podcasts and YouTube shows. It really is an entire network of lies. And that same network, in the wake of January 6th, tried to minimize the violence and minimize the crimes. Tucker Carlson played a lead key role in doing so uh, with that so-called Patriot Purge documentary where he he tried to to claim that it was a false flag. He he was very hot on this. And we were talking earlier about the reasons why Tucker was fired. I do think one of them is related to this conspiracy thinking where he was was so out on a limb. He was so far out on an edge. There's lots of other stars on Fox that have tried to minimize what happened at the Capitol, but Tucker was was going so much further than the other hosts. And, you know, he was out on a very lonely limb, I guess is the way I would put it. Yeah. But I think the evidence in the courts speaks for itself. You know, big lie accountability is happening largely through the courts. Dominion, the settlement's an example of that. All of the cases in D.C. against the accused rioters are examples of that. And we've heard of several cases where... Lawyers for, you know, for defendants have gotten up and blamed Fox. One defense attorney literally blamed the <laughs> yeah. client's behavior on Foxitis. Mm-hmm. Another attorney said, my client was watching a lot of Fox News at the time. And yeah. one of my, my favorite, sort of this really sad example, but one of my favorite examples is this guy from Missouri who he's known as Rally Runner because he's known for running around Bush Stadium during St. Louis Cardinals mm-hmm. games. He was, he was radicalized. You can see it on his social media footprint. He loved Tucker. He loved Trump. You know, he's on Facebook sharing Fox videos before the attack. And, you know, he was in D.C. and he was charged uh, in connection to January 6th. But here's the remarkable thing. When he was charged uh, in connection to January 6th, Tucker Carlson went on the air and expressed doubt that Rally Runner was actually a Trump fan. <laughs> Tucker Carlson <laughs> took one of his own fans, one of his own viewers, and was like, maybe that's a Fed. Maybe that's – he had a, he had a guest yeah, on who said, right. this guy's clearly an agent provocateur, clearly a law enforcement officer. And so here you have this, this, this guy who's, in my view, clearly been brainwashed, who believes Tucker's a great reporter who's trying to report the truth. Until Tucker turns on him, you know, until Tucker lies about him, throws him under the bus, all in support of this narrative that it was really the federal government's fault, that the the riot was really the Fed's fault. And Tucker still pushes that to this day. And Tucker was able to do that, of course, because Kevin McCarthy gave him exclusively all the footage from January 6th, right, which Tucker and his producers went through and took out all the bad parts and then put video up of just people walking around looking at the murals or something. Yeah. And this stuff does not happen in a vacuum and this stuff does not oh. go, you know, without, without consequence. So the, the, one of the, um, one of the convicted, uh, you know, criminals from January 6th uh, took Tucker Carlson's misleading segments uh, from Capitol Hill uh, surveillance footage and petitioned his judge trying to get his sentence overturned. And the judge wrote back this blistering response, you know, about how Tucker had lied to the audience and how, and how dishonorable it was. But the point is, that sucks up resources and time and attention. And, you know, this stuff has real consequences. Yeah. The other thing, and I, I, it sort of may be apparent to our listeners by listening to your comments, but um, I, I just want to make sure people understand that 
there was not the like the White House over here and Fox News over here during all this time, both during the uh, questions about who really won 2020 or about January 6th. The hosts like Sean Hannity and Mark Meadows, they were emailing back and forth, texting back and forth all the time. Maria Bartiromo, right? And and Steve Miller and, and Steve oh, Bannon man. and all the rest. They were, yeah. and, and again, in the documents you went through, there's so many examples of that. Yeah, I will tell you what I want to know. It's It's been almost three years since January 6th. And I want to know what Sean Hannity really knows about that period. Sean Hannity was texting with Mark Meadows in the days leading up to the riot and in the days after. Hannity was on the phone with Trump. Uh, there's a yeah. text that, that's really interesting to me from January 5th, 2021. Hannity says to Meadows, I'm very worried about the next 48 hours. So here you have the biggest star on Fox News worried about what? Was he worried about violence? Was he worried about a coup attempt? What does he know about Trump's state of mind? So Hannity was asked to cooperate by the House's January 6th commission, and he ignored it. He, he did not respond. He was not uh, subpoenaed, and he never testified. To this day, Hannity's never talked about what he knows about what happened in the mm. days before and after January 6th. But there's this amazing message from four days later. This is January 10th, where Hannity's texting with Meadows again. Meadows and Jim Jordan, by the way, and says, guys, we have a clear path to land the plane in nine days. <laughs> it's it's as if Hannity thinks he is the guardrails. You know, we spent four years, the Trump era, talking about guardrails, who who are the adults in the room. Hannity suddenly thinks he's the, the adult in the room. We're going to land the plane. But, but he says, quote, Trump can't mention the election again ever. Think yeah. about that. Like, what? Can you imagine? Can you imagine no. if Trump had never, you know, his entire re-election campaign is premised on it being stolen from him in 2020. But here's Hannity, you know, days after January 6th saying, Trump can never mention this again. <laughs> it's almost, and it's almost like Hannity thinks he's the chief of staff, right? I mean, Precisely. Yeah. Oh, Precisely. Oh, oh. And, that, and that's the kind of stuff, you know, has there been... Uh, coziness uh, between uh, media types and politicians in the past, sure, uh, but never to this degree. Never, ever to this degree. God, I was just—it just flashed into my mind. I just remember uh, when uh, President Reagan was in the White House. George Will hosted a dinner party for Mr. and Mrs. Reagan in his home, <laughs> and he was pilloried by everybody. Oh, scandalous, right? Scandalous, right? <laughs> <laughs> and knowing Reagan, they probably talked about Hollywood or the weather or something, right? They weren't telling <laughs> state secrets for sure. Oh, right. my God. Right. You know, um, Brian, you and I could talk media for forever, uh, but I can't let you go. Uh, again, uh, congratulations on the book. We'll have a link up for uh, all of our listeners uh, to get their own copy of the book. I know they will be fascinated by it and shocked by it as much as I was. Um <laughs> But I have to ask you a couple of questions about media today, if you, if, if I can yeah, indulge for just it. a couple of seconds. One is, so what was your take on NBC agreeing to do this third debate in partnership with Salem News? That Salem News is full of election deniers. I mean, why would they do that? I think in order to have a debate, it seems that the RNC, the Republican Party, expects partners to align with right-wing media. And we see that in the fourth debate as well. News Nation is partnered with Megyn Kelly and the Washington Free Beacon. So, oh. you know, then the response, becomes, okay, so should NBC say no? Here, here's yeah. where I come down on it. It's, a, you know, maybe not a popular answer. I thought Hugh Hewitt's questions were interesting. I, I didn't think that he 
created a, a, I didn't think he made the debate worse. I think he made the debate better is, is honestly how I felt. I know people are making fun of him for asking too much about Navy ships. Uh, But what I liked about that question, that line of questioning was how specific it was. And I like when candidates are are pressed for specifics and not for generalities. Um, But I I do think the scrutiny of Salem was, was important and valuable. My, my former colleague, Oliver Darcy at CNN uh, wrote about this in the run up to the debate. People do need to know where these right-wing media companies stand and and what they do and what they peddle on the radio in, in, in that instance. Yeah. And by the way, Hugh Hewitt's a friend of mine. He and I worked together at uh, KFI in Los Angeles. We were both back-to-back oh. back shows. Uh, he's a very smart guy, and he's he's a he's a moderate here and our good friends. Um, he, he is not one of the election deniers. No, he's, he's, he's not. But, you're, but, you're, but your point is well taken. He's a smart conservative. But I think the broader point is that, you know, what, what are what are these... I hate the word mainstream, but let's say it, mainstream media. <laughs> yeah. The mainstream media is reckoning with how to cover a radicalized Republican Party. Uh, it, right. It's the same the same struggle we have with covering Fox. Is, you know, Fox is not what it was 10 or 20 years ago. Um, both, all of these outlets have really moved into an extreme and in some cases anti-democratic place. And we've got to keep our own values intact while trying to cover what's changed there. So uh, second question, Rupert Murdoch at one time real, fell in love with Ron DeSantis. Uh, it looked like he was ready to <laughs> dump Trump and go with DeSantis. What happened? And has he rethought it or how do you read it now? Um, I read it as Rupert Murdoch uh, wanting any candidate but Trump, wanting any nominee but Trump, but becoming increasingly resigned to the mm. fact that Trump is the likely nominee. I, I had a, a source, a Murdoch family friend uh, say to me for the book, you know, Rupert hates Trump. He can't believe we're going to end up with Trump again as the nominee. But that kind of comment, it's actually a, you know, it's, it's a lot of things, but one of those things is it's a, a sad statement about Rupert's role. I mean, you know, Rupert Murdoch's supposed to be this swashbuckling king of all media, this mogul is larger than, you know, he, we have talked for a long time about how much, apparent power he has, right? Dangerous amounts of power around yeah. the world. And yet when it comes to this election, he sounds like he's just a passenger, just sitting in the back seat, just seeing where <laughs> the car is going to go. You know, it, it speaks to, I think, his diminished, uh, diminished stature. And I don't say that because he's 92 years old. I say that because he doesn't seem to be uh, in the driver's seat, doesn't seem to want to be in the driver's seat. Uh, and listen, maybe I'm misinterpreting that. I'm really interested to see what happens later this week. Uh, he is, um, his semi-retirement takes effect this week. You know, he, he announced, uh, they announced a couple months ago that he's stepping back into a chairman emeritus status and really empowering his son Lachlan. So I think we're going to hear from Rupert later this week and, you know, at least about that transition. And it's going to be interesting to see what he says and how he says it, you know, and, and how forceful he is. How how involved will he be in the future is an open question. Uh, and by the way, I think you point out in the book, it is there's a, a certain amount of irony in the fact that Fox is leading the charge questioning whether Joe Biden at 80, uh, right, is uh, mentally fit to govern uh, while while their leader is 92 years old. Right? Bingo. <laughs> and you know what's the most fun with that? The people who have the most fun with that are the White House aides who have to respond to, to Fox's random and sometimes inane requests for comment. You know, Andrew Bates, one of these White House aides, he once you know, hit back at a Fox uh, email by saying, I can't tell if you're you're writing about Biden's age, mocking Biden's age, because you're trying to send a signal to your 92-year-old chairman? <laughs> or is it because Rupert's so frustrated that this younger man is so successful? <laughs> 
Uh, and finally, I have to ask you, this is really tough now for uh, reporters covering the war in the Middle East, Israel, Hamas, overall. Um, how do you think the coverage is? Is it fair and balanced? Uh, is it some, as some, even Israel has complained that the American press is now tilting toward Gaza or toward the Palestinians? Uh, wh- what do you think? Well, I think overall is is the key word, and that's the advice I would share with with anybody who's thinking about the, their media consumption, their media diet, and 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 whether they're getting a, a full and comprehensive picture. It is easy to nitpick, to cherry pick, to uh, pick out individual um, errors and 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 incompleteness in, in the coverage. You know, there's certainly reports that you know you might watch a, a 90 second report and say that didn't seem right. Uh, you might pick out a, a paragraph in an article and say that's unfair, that's slanted. But you've got to be able to take that. Over overall view, that much bigger picture view. And when you do that, I think, I think, you know, I, I personally, as a viewer, as a reader, I feel like I'm getting uh, an enormous amount of reliable information. Um, but you know, it's more than ever, it's incumbent on the, the viewers, on the audience to, uh, to, cons- to, to create your own media diet, right. To make yeah. sure you're, yeah. you're, you know, reading sources that are in the region and not just 4,000 miles away to, to make sure that you are uh, watching the materials and, and not just um, not just little snippets and little sound bites that are out of context. I, I got to say, I, I find my my X feed, oh, I hate that, I, my, my Twitter feed, I, I find it uh, less reliable than ever. It's more confusing than ever. Um, and so that hopefully counterintuitively leads people back to uh, institutions leads people back to real, reliable media outlets uh, in an environment that's full of disinformation on social media. Right, and I think you'd probably agree that I think our former network CNN uh, has done a remarkable job, and it was it was so good to see Wolf Blitzer back on, back in his home territory. Right. I, yes. I, uh, well, and, and that's CNN at its best. Also, you know, absolutely uh, going to the region, anchoring from the region. I think the big distinction, the big, the big dividing line in media these days is between places that are trying to get it right versus places that don't give a damn, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I say trying to get it right because there's always going to be flaws. There's always going to be incomplete coverage. You know, the CNNs of the world, you know, when, when stories are breaking, the coverage is never going to be perfect. Um, it's, it's created by human beings with inherent flaws, all that we know to be true, but at least they're trying. And I, I think we've got to draw a line between those APs and CNNs and NBCs and New York Times that are trying Versus the places that just don't care yeah. uh, and are just doing it for clicks or for propaganda or for money. Uh, that's the red line that I try to draw and, and the way that I try to think about my news consumption. And by the way, I am so impressed and also so worried for uh, those journalists who are on the scene over there. Uh, it's it just incredible, the reporting inside of the territory and in Israel both, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and too many of them have, have uh, already fallen as victims of this war, but the ones who are there every day in, in doing an incredible job. Hats off to them. Amen. Ryan, so good to catch up with you. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. The book is Network of Lies, the Epic Saga of Fox News, Donald Trump and the Battle for American Democracy. Uh, go Keep at it, Brian, and we'll catch up with you again soon. Thank you so <laughs> right much. Right back at you. Thank you. And, and thanks for your help with the book. Thanks for taking my call when I wanted to interview you. <laughs> you bet. All right. Thanks, Brian. And that's it for today's podcast with Brian Stelter. Again, uh, there'll be a link in the episode notes to today's podcast to get your copy of Network of Lies. Oh, God, so much stuff in there. You won't believe it. As I said, it's worse than you think. The link between Donald Trump and Fox News, and it still goes on. 
So that's it for today. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great week. And then don't forget, come back on Friday for your maybe favorite part of the Bill Press Pod, our weekly reporters roundtable. Four more days before the government is going to shut down unless MAGA Mike can get Republicans in the House in order. We'll be watching that, talking about that, and a whole lot more on Friday's Reporters Roundtable. Have a great week again. We'll see you then on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.